Hello, and welcome to the Cannabis Corner. I am your host, Joshua Braff, and I'm with my partner, farmer Adam Teitelbaum. Today we have a guest, Dr. Frank Lucido. He is a physician in Berkeley who is somewhat of a marijuana expert. I don't know if that's a good title for you or what you're called, but we find ourselves looking for people who can talk to us about the medical benefits of cannabis and uh, sort of skirt some of the other conversations that lead people down roads that aren't as helpful. And we have such an interesting world now in which cannabis is coming into people's lives who would never think that they'd use it. Today, we're going to talk about the endocannabinoid system. I have a book here, Dr. Lucido, The Evidence-Based Science of Medical Cannabis. And there's a paragraph here that says the ECS, the endocannabinoid system, is a biological regulatory mechanism that operates much like a lock and key. Understanding the ECS is a critical task if we are to more effectively manage diseases, especially chronic, debilitating diseases for which there is no orthodox cure. For instance, if properly activated, the ECS is capable of suppressing numerous cancers and may be protective against Alzheimer's disease. What are your thoughts about this um, this system, and tell us why it is that there was no information on it before the 90s. Well, you know, it's been a number of years that Dr. Mishulam first identified THC as the psychoactive substance in cannabis in the 60s, and then soon after that, cannabidiol, which is another major one. Uh, we now know that there's over 100 cannabinoids. And then sometime a decade later, they discovered uh, that we have cannabinoid receptors. Therefore, then somebody started searching to see if we have our own endogenous cannabinoids, and they found that we do. So a lot of the stuff we've known for a long time, but as time goes on, we, we're learning more and more. So now in the last you know, 20 years, there's been more research, mostly in other countries, uh, Mostly, NIDA controls, you know, National Institute on Drug Abuse controls the studies that are done in the United States. So mostly they've been studies trying to show harm because that's the mission of NIDA is to try to show harm for cannabis. And fortunately, they've been able to show that there's very little uh, evidence of harm and uh, they've been able to show that there's some benefits. Again, other countries are ahead of us on some of the research. So the endocannabinoid system is getting disclosed uh, more and more from studies, some, some in this country, but many of them in other countries. So we're finding out various things. So, for instance, one of the drug companies thought that they'd be smart, and since cannabis is purported to you know, give people the munchies and sometimes gain weight, they figured, well, how about weight loss if we were able to block the cannabinoid receptors? So they found a you know, cannabinoid receptor blocking a drug called Romanabont. They put it on the market and sure people could lose weight, but then a couple were committing suicide. So it turns out that, you know, since cannabis can be a mood elevator for some people, it makes sense now that blocking the cannabinoid receptors could make some people more depressed. So that was taken off the market. So there's you know, more research going on because we already know that cannabis smokers have less uh, lung cancer than non-smokers. And again, that was from Dr. Tashkin's work. And he was given a, a grant to study cannabis to prove that it could cause lung cancer. And he, and he wasn't sure that it might not cause lung cancer, but he crunches numbers and found that the pot smokers had actually less lung cancer than the non-smokers. And so that's even with smoking. So you can imagine it'd be more protective if you even didn't smoke uh, and use it vaporized and other methods. But getting back to the endocannabinoid system, um, it's nice to know that we have our own endogenous cannabinoids, and some people probably are deficient in their endogenous cannabinoids or maybe their cannabinoid receptors, so some exogenous outside cannabinoids can be very helpful. 
Yeah, when one reads about this, it's kind of interesting in the realm of this debate of people saying, well, cannabis is harmful, it should be lumped with heroin and cocaine, and we have an attorney general who's positive that the opioid issue, which is a major one in our country, is the result of some kind of that marijuana could be blamed, of course. So what we're talking about is complicated facets, so complicated that it's about the human brain. If this part of the brain is affected in some way, this person could be looking perhaps at a life that could end up with Alzheimer's. Perhaps if this system in the brain is harmonious, then the person could very, very well benefit from all these medical aspects. I guess the way that I view the ECS is that it, it has to do with providing homeostasis. Is that correct? I, I guess what I'm looking for is I've read a lot about the ECS and a lot of it is written with scientific and technical jargon that a layman may not grasp all of it. And so I was wondering if you could maybe explain that in more layman's terms. Am, am I on the right path as far as it being homeostatic? Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it, because when you think about something that could help both anxiety as well as depression, you realize that it's sort of a normative, something that brings things back to center. So I think homeostasis is a good way to put it. Dr. Todd McRea, one of our uh, you know, heroes, one of the original writers of Prop 215, our first medical marijuana law in the whole United States that passed in 1996 in California, he thought that it was... Uh, you know, a new class of drug, something that brought things uh, back toward the center. Another question is, from my reading about the endocannabinoid system, it seems that there are receptors throughout the body. They're in the brain, they're in other organs, or am I describing that correctly or no? Uh, yes. Yeah, we found that there's CB1 receptors and CB2 receptors, and the CB1 receptors tend to be more in the brain and spinal cord, and then CB2 receptors tend to be more in the other organs, some of the glands and some of the uh, areas outside of the central nervous system. So how is it that cannabis figures into this as terms of medicine, in terms of helping if there's a problem or a disease in the you know spinal cord and there are receptors there? How can we use cannabis as medicine to help disorders or diseases in these areas of the body? Well, some of it is trial and error. Not everybody's going to benefit the same way from cannabis. It's nice to know that there's less psychoactive strains. THC is a very good medicine for a lot of people. It's the mood elevator, but it can also be intoxicating and sedating. And sometimes you want that, especially in the evening. You might want that to help people sleep and the mood elevation. But during the daytime, you may not want that altered you know, thought process. So instead of uh, a euphoria, it might be a dysphoria if it's not what you're looking for at that time. So it's nice to know that there are strains of cannabis that have far less THC and more of the other cannabinoids. So for instance, cannabidiol is the next most common one. And I like to quote from GW Pharmaceuticals. It's a company in England. They have a product that's a one-to-one -one ratio of CBD and THC called Sativex. And it's not available in this country. It's available in Canada and Europe. But the information is useful, so I often will print a paper out. But the salient sentence in the abstract, which is that paragraph at the beginning of a scholarly article, says this, CBD has been shown to diminish some unwanted side effects of THC, including intoxication, sedation, and tachycardia, rapid heartbeat. So it has less of that, while still having pain-relieving properties, anti-nausea properties, and anti-cancer properties in its own right. So it's not necessarily better at those things, but because there's less intoxication or sedation, you can get higher doses for when you need that. For example, I'm seeing a lot of kids with seizure disorder and autism, most of them with both. I've seen over 100 kids like that. And you know, the CBD is nice because you can really ramp that up to help the seizures. 
without getting them intoxicated or sedated, because uh, sometimes you have to use quite high doses because these are kids with pretty severe uh, seizure disorder. And yet sometimes with the autism, some of the behavioral issues, especially as they get older, they might be uh, more physically violent, self-destructive. Uh, touch of THC sometimes makes them happier, less violent, and uh, the parents report that they can learn better too. And it doesn't work for everybody. You know, out of the over 200 kids that I've seen initially, I'm seeing still over 100 of them. Some of them have found doctors closer to where you know, they live because they were coming from all over California or other states to see me. But now that there's other doctors willing to see kids, some of them have been lost to follow up here. But I'm still seeing over 100 of them, and uh, uh, they seem to be doing, for the most part, well as far as the seizures, having to take less of the prescription seizure medicines, and doing fine there. And then getting on to elders, the same thing. A lot of people that are cannabis naive really want to be more clear-headed, so it's nice to know that cannabidiol is available. So CBD has, you'd say, a much better approach than a chemical approach to, say, a child with autism comes to you and your first thought is to perhaps give them some medicine that has no THC in it, correct? Uh, correct. Another interesting point is that cannabis has been used, ironically, for thousands of years, but we're really in its infancy in terms of discovering all the medicinal properties that it has and the different ailments that it can help or whether it's help or cure, manage, etc. But, you know, there's all these strains. You have some funny names and some aren't named and they just have names of a strain crossed with a strain. But aren't you finding that it's strain-specific as well with treating ailments, that it's not that you just want any cannabis? There's so many varieties. So how do you navigate that maze? Well, that's uh, almost impossible for a clinician at this point. A lot of that is folk wisdom and what people have found. And so you've got the issue of marketing like you do with any pharmaceuticals even. So you have the drug reps telling you about this drug versus that. So you have to look into it and see what studies have been done. With cannabis, unfortunately, there's not many official studies that have been done, certainly not on strains. So I think the folk wisdom is still important there. So when people talk about indicas versus sativas, it turns out that there's no measurable CBD in either sativa or indica, with a few exceptions. It's almost like the growers have been hybridizing for the last 40 years for stonier and stonier pot. And um, so they've gotten higher THC, but without realizing what they've done, they've also brought out uh, CBD in most strains. Fortunately, now that we're looking for it, we've found enough strains that do have uh, CBD. So uh, it's nice to be able to propagate those strains. But I think the strains are important, but the question is what studies have been done. So so I think the folk wisdom in here is important. And people sometimes have to do it by trial and error, find out whether uh, this strain or that strain is better for them. More of our interview with Dr. Frank Lacido in the next episode of The Cannabis Corner. Sohum Living Soils, developed in southern Humboldt, California, perfected in northern Colorado, are mix your water incredible results. The flavor is in the mix. Sohum Living Soil is handcrafted by growers for growers to provide a true living biodynamic for container growing indoors and outdoors. Just add water. No need to pH your water or mix nutrients. From seed or rooted clone to harvest, Sohum is the future of cultivation. Hey, we're back with our guest, Tim Gordon. He is the president of CBDRX. 
Uh, he has a long history in this relatively young industry, and the notion of a man making CBD for the purpose of medicine really fascinates us. It's right uh, right in our wheelhouse. So, Tim, it's really nice of you to come on, and um, I've ex- been excited to talk to you. Tell me a little bit about your history in the cannabis world and how you came to become the president of such this, Im- this important acronym that we've all been discussing. Uh, go ahead. Sure, sure. Thanks for having me, you guys. Sure. Um, really appreciate this. It's a great opportunity, and you guys are always fun to talk to. Um, so, yeah, I started in the cannabis industry uh, as a medical marijuana patient here in the state in 2003. Actually, I met Adam when it was a couple of years later at one of the first dispensaries there uh, that was put into Fort Collins back in the day. Poudre Valley Poudre Valley Medical, medical. Cannabis. <laughs> yeah, Poudre Valley Medical Cannabis. Great, great spot. From there, um, yeah, I started uh, one of the other first dispensaries in the city and uh, from there moved on uh, into the hemp industry where I became um, employed at CBDRX and have now become president there. And we're, uh, we really focused on what this plant can do on a big realm, on a big scale, in the essence of health and vitality and overall wellness. So we kind of working away from, you know, uh, I call it like the buzzwords of the cannabis industry right now, THC and CBD. That's great. I have a question for you, which is how is it that you got started in the industry? Because you didn't start in the CBD field. <laughs> you You started in cannabis. So how did you get your start there and how did that take you to away from cannabis to hemp and CBD where you are now? Mm-hmm. So what got me into cannabis originally, um, you know, was I'd, I'd seen it change lives on a personal level. Back in college, I had a professor who had his life changed immensely by THC specifically um, going through a cancer bout. And, um, you know, from there, it kind of rang true. I started doing my own research and that's what really drew me in. I became an activist, um, got into a, a group, an organization called Front Range Normal, did what I could really to start um, spreading awareness of the many attributes of cannabis uh, therapies. So that led me into a, like a metamorphosis, really, of going through um, the medical marijuana industry uh, and then morphing out into the hemp industry. And the reason being, continually, this plant amazes me, amazes people, and it changes lives, as you guys have all seen. So having the opportunity to do this on a very large scale was really what drew me into the hemp industry. That's fascinating. And where are you operating out of currently? Yeah, we have um, a research and development laboratory and production facility in Boulder. And we have a 132-acre farm down in Pueblo, Colorado, where we do all our farming and uh, genetics work and stuff like that. Is that outdoor or is that greenhouse? It's a combination of. So we do about 65 to 80 acres per year outdoor. We also have a greenhouse facility and warehouse facility on property also. That's great. I just love hearing the uh, sun being utilized as opposed to how I'm required to grow here in Fort Collins. Right, right, right. I mean, it changes really the expression of the plant going from inside to outside. There's I mean, it's amazing what Mother Nature really can do to add some more of those intrinsic health benefits to the plant that we all need. I know. I'd like to see our state at some point go in that direction that we have not gone in at all. I think it's one of the mistakes we've made at this point in terms of going in an unsustainable direction instead of a more sustainable direction. So I love that you guys are doing that in Pueblo. Is there a sense that the CBD could be the hero in helping America with this opioid issue and perhaps address the notion that if the stigma is lifted, CBD can find its way to all types of people? 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I talk about cannabidiol or CBD products and stuff in front of an audience, I usually use this acronym. I think of CBD as the Swiss army knife of cannabinoids. Man, you can do so many things. It has so many applied efficacy points. It also can be used to tweak something out here on the way out besides, you know, our normal neurodeficit or seizure or spastic disorders. It can also have something way out, maybe on anxiety or something like that. It's really interesting how specific cannabinoid therapy, specifically CBD, has really been changing in the last 18 to 24 months where there's a lot more research, there's a lot more interest, and that's because the plant is, you know, it's time. It's time in our society, especially here in Colorado. We've been the forefront of the revolution, so it's a wonderful time for this plant to become well-known and how CBD and how cannabis therapies can help the world. That's very exciting, and uh, to be in a position you are, Adam and I, in our research are amazingly excited for people to find relief and be beyond the stigma. And so you say last 18, 24 months, we, we, we feel this uh, relatively new reel in people's access to this medicine. Is THC also a part of what you are making and delivering at all? No, no. We, know, we do have a variety of naturally occurring terpenes and cannabinoids in our products. They're the same naturally occurring products that are across the cannabis sativa L spectrum. You can find aspects of tetrahydrocannabinol. You can have cannabigerol, cannabicramine. You you see a spectrum of of different naturally occurring cannabinoids, whether hemp or cannabis. Right. So he's talking about, you know, more than CBD, there's still like relation to THC and then there's the CBGs. Right. Many other cannabinoids. We, we we're focused on more of the uh, the health benefits and not so much on the on THC side. Really coming at it from a medical point of view. And really, uh, gaining from the entourage effect. Yeah, yeah, we like to talk about the entourage effect and specifically how it works in our bodies. It's really interesting. So um, it's fascinating. I, I, I could talk to you for hours. I have <laughs> so many questions. But so you have the farm. Yep. That's where it starts. How did you come about the strains that you guys are producing there? Yeah, so um, the company first did some industrial hemp breeding, and we were able to really cross a spectrum of cannabinoids into a spectrum that is uh, low in THC, and that we can harvest at a point where it's below the 0.3%, which is legal, but really has a strong plethora of other cannabinoids and terpenes up to the 20-22% threshold. And so high expressions of CBD relative other cannabinoids, very low THC. So we did that through a constant breeding program, and then we continually bettered those cultivars just through um, some genetic backcrossing and doing some specific marker-assisted breeding and stuff like that. Really taking science and the availability of science right now in cannabis and trying to take it to the next level. So it's really amazing what's happening. That That's great. So I'm assuming then you use a certain testing lab and get your results from there and that helps – maybe steer you in direction of what you're doing with a plant or yeah yeah you know i really think you know so i do some initial research and you know what's what's the really benefit that's going to absorb into our endocannabinoid system and produce the proper anamides and anamides what a, a cannabinoid that we naturally produce in our body and how are we going to benefit and influence those so there's specific cannabinoid and terpene profiles that you look for that really work in tandem in a synergistic approach in the plant and you can try to make those available in a final product, you know, for ingestion and really try to make that into a product to where it comes into our body and it's readily absorbed. So really interesting um, how that all works in the metaphysics of our body and the cannabinoid system. Is there further research needed in the CBD world? 
The answer is probably yes, as so many people have said, that research isn't done in the cannabis world. And you can see the complexities of the facets and how they connect with the individual brain. So where is it headed research-wise? Yeah, there's, you know, cannabis research is really its infancy in our country. When you compare yourself to uh, Israel or some of the Eastern Europe or even China and Japan, how the science and that are the readily available out of those countries compared to us, we're very in our true infancy stage, but it's coming around. You know, there's a lot of uh, specific molecule studies about CBD and how they benefit neurotransmission or epilepsy or anti-inflammatory responses. Once that tipping point of research is in the mix, along with the national forefront legislation coming into fruition across the country, we're in a train that's not stoppable. The cannabis industry is here, it's moving, and it's creating industry jobs and commerce. So um, to go back to where things come from, because uh, especially people who maybe don't live in Colorado mm. or places like this where we're at the forefront of what's happening with hemp and cannabis, what happens after you've grown your product? So after our product's grown, we, uh, we store our product in an organic storage facility, and then we bring our product into our production labs. And from there, we do a variety of organic infusion production to create final products. We offer a variety of pills, tinctures, and capsules, some topical products, and are expanding on, on those lines as well. But, you know, basically, you know, we take our product in. We're really focused on plant passion from when it goes in the field to harvest. We do everything by hand, even at large scale. And it's really important for us to keep that unique cultivar that we have in the best possible condition to create the best possible products. So we really focus on hand coddling and proper production procedures really to create the best thing we can. So I guess that's an advantage of being vertically integrated. Absolutely. Vertical integration is key. Right. Yeah, because especially for our vision of really wanting to create the best products. As opposed to a company who's needing to buy their product from a producer and not really sure of everything that's happened every step along the way with that plant. That's Tim Gordon, president of CBDRX, and we'll have more of this interview in the very near future. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll see you next time on The Cannabis Corner.